Have you ever heard of Nancy Wake? No. Nancy Wake was a New Zealand-born British Asian who commanded over 7,000 fighters, resistance fighters, during the Nazi occupation of France in World War II. She became the Gestapo's number one most wanted person. And she was the Allies' number one decorated servicewoman in World War II. And here's a person that you've never really heard of. I mean, amazing, an amazing, amazing life. You know, history is filled with people who come and go with not much fanfare at all. It's just filled with them. I really enjoy kind of going, I go online and I I try to find people who did extraordinary things that most people never really, they never really heard their story. Never heard about these folks. Amazing people with, that really didn't get the recognition that they probably deserved. How often in your life do you watch others prosper and get recognition And maybe there's a little bit of frustration there because you're seeing other people prosper. You're seeing other people be successful. You're seeing other people get that recognition. And you're living a faithful life. You're you're trying to honor God with your life. And and you're struggling to fulfill your own goals and your your own dreams. That becomes difficult for for many people. As As Christians, we've become very well acquainted, and as we should, with some of the most prominent godly figures, if you will, in the Bible. If you look at the Old Testament, there, there are names, if I, put, if I throw some names out there, there are people you will recognize in their story that you will recognize immediately, like Abraham and Joseph and Ruth, right? And Deborah, Esther, Moses, David, just to name a few. As we read through the New Testament, we read about Peter and Mary and, and James and, and John and Paul. We know, we know these names and we recognize them. These are people, Old and New Testament, who did incredible things for God. These were great men and women of God who, who furthered the cause of Christ with their lives. And so we recognize those people. But there are other people that have lived faithful lives, lived really incredible lives that we don't recognize, we don't recall. We kind of read through and we, we you know, we, I kind of, I've heard that name maybe, but we don't recall their story. And much of the time, because it's, it's spread throughout, there's a, a, a verse here and a verse here and a verse here, and, and we're, we're not really doing a study on that person, so we miss it. We miss them. And we miss their story. And one of those people is Aristarchus. Aristarchus. In Acts chapter 19 and verse 23, we find Aristarchus is preaching the gospel in Ephesus. So he's preaching the gospel in Ephesus and, and, and all kinds of things start, start to happen. A silversmith by the name of Demetrius. And this silversmith Demetrius is a, he, what he does is he, he makes shrines, he makes silver shrines for a god in, in their culture. That's his job. I make silver shrines for this god in my culture. And so Demetrius is not very happy at all with Paul 
And Aristarchus is a part of this whole thing. And so Demetrius gets very frustrated because he realizes that people are listening to Paul share the gospel. And if these people continue to listen and there's converts and people start getting pulled in that direction, they give their lives to Christ, if you will, that his business is going to go down. So Demetrius is not very happy at all in this situation. So what happens in Acts chapter 19, verse 29, it says this. Soon the whole city was in uproar because Demetrius got them all got them all started. The people seized Gaius. And and basically, basically says Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and all of them rushed into the theater together. So Aristarch, Gaius and Aristarchus, along with Paul, rushed into the theater together because there's a riot going on in Ephesus. Aristarch, Aristarchus was was converted during Paul's trip to Thessalonica. So Paul goes to Thessalonica. Aristarchus, and remember Demas from last week. OK, but Aristarchus comes to know the Lord in Thessalonica. And he's a companion with Paul on his third missionary journey. And he's he's walking with Paul. And it's most likely that he was on that trip that when they were in Athens. Right. And remember when they were in Corinth. And then also he was dealing with this whole riot before that. After he was dealing with this whole riot in Ephesus. So he's in Corinth with Paul. He's in Athens with Paul. He's in Ephesus with Paul during the riot. All these things are going on. And despite what happened to him in Ephesus... We see that Aristarchus is still with Paul in Acts chapter 20 when the disciples came together in the first day of the week. It said they came together the first day of the week. Aristarchus was a part of that. He stayed faithful to Paul during that time. And even when it says in, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 3, when the Jews tried to stop them from, from doing their work, from preaching the gospel, Aristarchus was still, he was a part of that. And so he's going through all these difficulties. He's going through all these trials with Paul and he's still hanging in there. And Acts chapter 27 and verse two, it says that he boarded a ship with Paul to preach the gospel in Asia. So he's on this ship. And you know what happens to Paul when he gets on ships sometimes? He's going through he's going through riots. He's going through the Jews wanting to stop them from preaching the gospel. You can imagine what's happening there. He's going through all these experiences with Paul. We know that he actually remained with Paul as Paul was on another journey, if you will, on a voyage to as a prisoner to Rome after they were put in prison for two years in Caesarea. So he's in, been in prison in Acts 24, 27. So he's in prison with Paul. He's going on trips with Paul. He's in Asia with Paul. He's in a riot with Paul. He's going through the difficulty with Jews with Paul. He's got all these things going on. Aristarchus is experiencing all these incredible things. In Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, it says, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. In Philemon chapter 1 and verse 24, it says, And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, who we talked about last week, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Paul says that Aristarchus is a fellow worker and a fellow prisoner. He's a fellow prisoner with Paul. This shows his resolve to overcome whatever trials and temptations and difficulties that the world can throw at him. Aristarchus stands and sticks with Paul through it all. So, I mean, as you go through these verses, it's amazing all the all the challenges that Aristarchus had to face. Last week, we talked about Demas 
And we talked about how Demas abandoned Paul and went to Thessalonica when he was going through similar circumstances. You have Aristarchus and Demas, basic contemporaries, going through similar circumstances, except Demas, don't be Demas when you're your bracelet there. Don't be Demas. Demas says, I've had enough. And in Second Timothy, it tells us this. Second Timothy, chapter four and verse 10, Paul says this for Demas. Because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. And we talked about what it meant to love the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride, the pride of life. And, you know, we, we, will, we focus more on the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. Now, how that would pull someone away. But the pride, that pride issue is so strong in our lives, in our lives. I said last week, you know, we want to see ourselves in the heroes of the Bible. I want to see myself in the heroes of the Bible. I want to see characteristics like them. But it's also important for me to see myself in those maybe who have fallen short, like Demas. So Paul says he's abandoned me and gone off to Thessalonica because he loved the world. See, when the going got tough, Demas... Got going. And I don't mean got going in a good way. Demas just ditched. He looked at this and he just ditched. And and my encouragement to you last week and to you this week again is don't be Demas. Choose God over the world. Choose the things of God over the world. See, we need people like Aristarchus to teach us those things. Demas and Aristarchus went through similar circumstances. They were together a lot of the time. Demas abandons Paul. Aristarchus stays with Paul. Why did he do that? He was a passionate man. He was passionate and he had a relentless spirit. And as I'm studying through this, this, these passages and I'm reading and I'm reading about Aristarchus and I'm reading about Demas and I'm, I'm realizing more and more how much they were together. I started to think to myself, can you imagine and they, they most likely would have these conversations. Can you imagine the conversations that went on between Aristarchus and Demas at that time? Okay, they're both going through the same thing, sitting around a fire. I'm making this up, okay, but just go with me a little bit. They're sitting around a fire, and Demas, who's probably being poured into by Satan, Demas going through, he's, you know, sees the riots, he goes through this, and he's, you know... He, He's, he's having a, a rough time. And he's, and he's probably starting to think, boy, I'll tell you what. Life was a lot easier before I met this guy, Paul. You know, I'm not getting what I really want out of this. And then Satan starts to talk to him and say, remember that girl in Thessalonica? Hey, remember? That was a lot easier, right? When's the last time you got wasted, buddy? I mean, think about it. You've been through riots. You've been through this. You've been through that. People want to stone you. You've been in prison. I mean, wh- where's this guy Paul leading you? That's what Satan's pouring into him. He starts thinking about Thessalonica. The things of this world start pulling on his heart. And I would think, only my opinion, that Aristarchus and Demas maybe had some conversations. And can you imagine Demas? You know how you start thinking that way and you just want to see if someone else is on your side. You say, hey, Aristarchus, um, have you... Th- you ever thought about what we're going through here? This is tough. I mean, this was nowhere near as difficult before Paul came into our lives. You know, I, I'm just, just kind of throwing it out there. What do you think? You know, and, and, and I could see Aristarchus saying, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. It's, 
it's really difficult. And we've been through a lot. Man, boy, that when that guy, you know, it started all this, the silversmith and, you know, going through and the riots. And we had to slip off into the theater. And, you know, you should have been there when I was with Paul and here. And, and imagine the conversations that they would have back and forth. Maybe Aristarchus picking up on Demas's frustration or his discouragement or the, the you know, the, the, the evil spirit, if you will, pouring into, into Demas and Aristarchus trying to, trying to encourage him and, and keep him strong in the faith. It's just amazing to think about. See, Aristarchus is not mentioned as much as some of the greats in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you something, and I know this to be true because of what the Word of God says. Aristarchus, all right, is great in the kingdom of God. Aristarchus is walking tall, standing tall in the kingdom of God because God sees a person's heart. God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. He knows our desires. He knows our faith. And when it comes to having faith, and standing strong, Aristarchus was stood tall in the kingdom of God. The Bible doesn't tell us. You think that the Bible, you know, Aristarchus may have gotten more accolades than Demas because Aristarchus was a great speaker, or he was a great writer, or he was a, he was a great teacher, or he was a great this, or a great... That. It doesn't say that, any of that. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say anything about how great he was at this. So he's probably a guy, obviously, behind the scenes a little bit, but in, verse, in, in the five verses where Aristarchus is mentioned in the Bible, we get this glimpse of, a, of an amazing, faithful, determined, compassionate, passionate man who, who's gone through so much, but, but lives his life for Jesus Christ, lives, lives his life. And, and we get a glimpse of a man of faith and it allows us to be motivated or I'm inspired. I am personally inspired to live a bolder life because of the example that Aristarchus set. Because I can look at two different people, Demas on the one hand and Aristarchus on the other hand, and see they both went through the same thing and ask myself, why is one, why did one abandon Paul and go to Thessalonica and the other stay with him through it all? What is it in Aristarchus that I need to be like? Because I go through trials in my life. Things don't always turn out the way I want them to in my life. People around me suffer, I suffer, things are disappointing, and so all these things happen. We all go through challenges in our lives, in our faith. What is it that kept Aristarchus standing for God and walking alongside Paul and caused Demas to walk away because he loved the things of this world? How do I avoid becoming, in any way, shape, or form, like Demas? Because I don't want to be that kind of man. See, in the past, like today, it's, it's really, it's, it's often those who are in the spotlight um, who we seem to remember. And so in our brains and our minds, we are kind of, I would say, brainwashed by our culture to want to seek out that kind of recognition in our lives. But we need to realize something. If you get recognition, if you get recognized by the church, by the world, by whatever, because you're doing something, you're just doing it and you get wrecked. There's nothing wrong with that. But here's where you have to be careful. Here's where all of us have to be careful. When we begin to make that a priority, recognition, a main priority in our lives, it can become a terrible trap. It can, it can become a trap. 
I've watched so many good men and women, and you can pick whatever field you're in, okay? But I've watched so many good men and women fall or become discouraged in ministry because they, they, they never really reached the goals that they set for themselves. They, they started out in, uh, they graduated from college, they graduated from seminary, and they saw themselves as, um, as, a, as, a, as a person who's speaking in, in, in large conferences, catalyst. You know, they went to catalyst when they were in college or before, and, and they, they saw themselves as the person ultimately who's going to speak catalyst or who's going to, to lead a, a, a megachurch or someone who's going to be a famous writer, a famous author, and people would read their books and, and be inspired and they'd be moved. And there's the, you know, I'm sure the motives are mixed in all of that, but that's where they saw themselves. And then something, something happened. Some others may be thinking, well, you know, they saw themselves as uh, singing or playing in front of a concert of thousands and maybe leading worship to all these people and having millions of fans. And then something happened. It didn't turn out. I've heard other people throughout my life say things like, I'm going to get a platform. That's why I'm skipping out on this and skipping out on his other spiritual thing. Because ultimately, my ultimate goal is I'm going to get a platform. And see, once I get this platform, my motives for getting this platform and whatever thing you're going to do, then when I get my platform, then I'll be able to share the love of Christ with so many people. I'll be able to further the cause of Christ with the platform that I'm creating for myself. It's, it's not for me. It's just for Christ. I just want to get this platform. But I've also watched that often those who get the platform never use it. But here's something even more difficult, or I say worse. Those who don't get the platform become angry with God. They see someone else getting that, maybe they graduated with, or maybe they started in business with, or maybe they started out with, or in sports or whatever, and they see that person excelling and that person getting recognition. They don't get that recognition. They become angry with God. They become disappointed and discouraged with life, and they walk away, or in some cases worse, They stay and are bitter. And you wonder sometimes, you as people in the congregation, people go to different churches sometimes, you go, you come from this church, maybe come from another city, and in that city some things went terribly wrong in your church, and you wonder, how could a pastor behave that way? Much of the time it's because of what I just described. They're frustrated, they're bitter, but they remain where they are because they were trained to do what I'm doing right now. And the idea of doing something else is very frightening to them, so they stay with what they know, but on their heart of hearts, they're frustrated with God. They're angry with God, and they're bitter. And you you are the beneficiaries, if you will. People use the word spiritually abused. I was spiritually abused in my church. The way my pastor handled this or did that. Much of the time, it's because a person had that in their minds that they were going to be at a certain point. They're not there, and they're frustrated, and they're angry. And that's how so much of this comes about. That's how so much of this happens. See, the world is no different when it comes to Christian, I'll say, uh, fame or celebrity. I mean, honestly, the Christian, the world sometimes is no different. People will, people flock to the flame, to the popular, to to the powerful. And honestly, they flock to that sometimes seeking their own identity through association with whatever they're flocking to. I don't know. I say, I know who I am. I don't know who I am. 
So many Christians really don't know who they are. So they, they flock to the flame, if you will, in order to seek out their own identity and being connected with whatever it is. By association, I go to this ministry or I'm a part of this organization or I'm doing this. And they find their identity in being a part of that. They don't find their identity in Christ. These are all traps that are laid by Satan. There, I'm going to say it again. There's nothing wrong with being famous. If you do something that, that causes people to know who you are, that's okay as long as your heart and your motives and your attitude are in the right place. Nothing wrong with that. The trap comes when that becomes the be-all, end-all. And if you don't get that, you're somehow angry with God and discouraged with life. Someone else is doing this. You know, Ravi Zachariah said this, and I'll never, I'll never forget, and I've used it before. He said that Christian celebrity is an oxymoron. And what he meant by, what he meant by that was those in the past who stood for Christ and became well-known were usually what? They're, they're, they're martyrs. They were killed. They were killed. But today, if you, basically what happens today is that you become a, uh, a rich celebrity. You become a rich celebrity. It's different. It's different. And then we look at, we look at the person who's popular in this Christian area. We look at the pop, person popular here. We look at the person who's popular there. And we, we strive to achieve that. And if we don't achieve that, somehow life is just not fair. It's not working out the way we wanted it to work out. But let, let this never be forgotten, okay? The faithful Christian, when God looks at someone and calls them a faithful Christian, is not necessarily the one who is remembered and recognized by the most people. That's not the way. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, okay? God doesn't think the way we think. He doesn't act the way we act. He doesn't judge things the way we judge things. He doesn't see certain people and say, well, automatically they must be really this and these people must be really this. He knows the heart. He understands the heart. He doesn't think that way. He doesn't. What God cares about is our, our, our attitudes, the attitude of our hearts, our, how we sacrifice. What, what, are we, what are we passionate about? You know who falls into this category where God would say, well done, good and faithful servant? Who falls in this category? Sacrificial moms and dads fall into this category. Those people who invest in the lives of their children, sacrificially invest in the lives of their children, give up some of the things that they want in life to make sure their children have what they need to become the men and women that God's created them to be. They fall into that category. Someone who works and serves behind the scenes without any recognition from, from anyone else. They, you don't even know they come in and they maybe clean the toilets early or at between services or whatever. You don't see them. You don't recognize them. The person who gives without recognition. You don't know. They don't walk around telling you how much they give and how much we should all be thankful because they gave this or they bought that. They want their name on this. They wanted that. They, those kinds of things. The pastor who serves in a small local church. Ever drive on vacation and you drive through that small town going to your destination and you see that, those little white churches, right, with the steeples? I mean, they're just exactly what a church. If you took a picture and you said, church, there it is. And you're thinking to yourself, where do the kids actually go to Sunday school? Because how can anybody fit in that little teeny building? But those, those men, those, those men and those women, different people, they give their lives in service to that congregation. It may not be more than... 
50 to 100 people. But they have they have married and they have buried and they have loved and they have invested in and they have cared about and they have preached to and they've, you know, they've helped spiritually grow all these different folks. Maybe in 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 in. The only one who really sees it, honestly, are those 50 to 100 people and God. But they're faithful. They're faithful. Those people stand tall in the kingdom of God. Men and women, moms and dads who invest in their children, people who work behind those people stand tall in the kingdom of God. Even if they never are recognized by anyone and no one's ever heard their name, they stand tall in the kingdom of God because of who they are and their character. A faithful Christian is remembered by God for their heart and for their service. That is what matters. That is what matters to God. If you remember, the Bible even tells us that there are certain things that we should keep a secret. So much of what we do in our Christian walk, we should keep a secret. Let me read you a couple. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 4 it says, So that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 6 it tells us, But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In verse 18, So that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Why? So that we don't become arrogant, we don't become self we don't become legalistic. We don't become like, oh, look, look, like when you fa-, he's talking about fasting there. What, what he doesn't here's boy, I'm I'm hungry. I'm boy, I'm really hungry. I'm hungry. Man, do you hear my stomach growling? Do you guys can you hear my stomach growling? I'm hungry. Yay, right Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Why? Oh, oh. And then I don't know why I'm dragging my leg, but oh, because I'm I'm so hungry. You know what I mean? I'm so hungry. I get you know. And then what they would do is they wipe dirt on their face and they they tear their clothes a little bit. And then oh, look how spiritual that person is. He's fasting. She's fasting, right? Or someone. And we all know in in our church history with people like this. You know, they 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 say these lofty prayers, and it's like they don't talk like that. But then when they pray, you don't even know what they're saying. You got to get a, like a Bible dictionary out to understand what these people are saying. God's like, speak English for goodness sake, okay? I know what you're saying. But then, and they go on. You ever been in a pray, old prayer meeting? Bob, the prayer guy, like, you know, 45 minutes later, he's still, you know, he's still praying. You're, all you're doing is say, God, please keep me awake. God, please keep me awake. That's your prayer, okay? Or end Bob's prayer. Keep me awake and end Bob's prayer, right? That's your prayer. And the prayer meeting. <laughs> And that's what that's what it's saying here. Pray, you know, do, certainly pray out. We pray out loud here. We pray out loud in Bible says, you know exactly what I'm saying. Don't make a show of it. Don't make a show of it. Why? Because the God who loves us, he sees all these things. He knows that you're sacrificing as a mom and as a wife. He knows you're sacrificing at work, doing something for someone else. So maybe they would advance or keep their job or you're bringing people into what you're doing to make sure everyone gets recognized and not just you. He's, God sees all those things. They matter to him. You see, here is part of the problem. If you theologically believe that this world is your home, your home, then you're going to live like Demas. Ultimately, that's what, the decisions that you make are going to be more like Demas. But if you understand, like Aristarchus, that your home is in heaven, 
then if you don't get recognized the way you probably should sometimes, it's okay. Because the God who is unseen sees all that you do. He knows your heart. When people judge your motives, God knows your motives. He knows that's not what you meant. When people try to, try to pigeonhole you or, or tell you this is the kind of person, God knows who you are. He knows who you are. That's why the song is so great. I know who I am. I know how, who I am. I am yours and you are mine. I find my identity in Jesus Christ. Aristarchus found his identity in Jesus Christ. Demas found his identity in the world. This is it. I got one life to live. And he abandoned Paul and went to Thessalonica because there was the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the the pride of life was a part of his makeup. He loved the world. Aristarchus, on the other side, loved God more than the world. And he went through just as much or more than Demas. And he stood with God all along the way. And that's who we need to follow after. Anthony Munoz, when he played in the NFL, I was talking to him and I said, how do you handle the fame of your position? And I wasn't talking his position, you know, just the position he played in football, but I mean the position as he is probably, not probably, he is the greatest offensive lineman who ever lived. When he was playing, everyone said he was the greatest offensive lineman who ever lived. You ever watch Monday Night Football back there and they would talk about the great one, they'd say the great one, right? And I asked him, how do you, how do you deal with, how do you handle that? How do you handle that? the fame of that position. And what he did was he quoted Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 2, which says this, let someone, else, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth. An outsider, not your own lips. Let someone else say you're the greatest. Let someone else praise you, not your own lips. Live your life for Jesus Christ. Only what's done for Christ will last. Live your life for Jesus Christ. And if other people choose to say something about that, that's okay. But don't get in the trap. Don't find yourself and put yourself in the trap of saying, this is my goal. And if I'm not speaking at this conference at this time, somehow I failed in life. God is not giving me what I want. Why would God not bless me? I'm this and I can't believe that person. That robs you of so much. We get robbed of so much in our Christian lives. Being in a spotlight like Anthony in a small way or Paul in, in, in a larger way should not be the be all. You know, it's okay. It's not wrong. Let me say this again. It is not wrong to be a professional athlete in the spotlight. That's not wrong. It's not wrong for Paul to do what he has done and get the recognition that he receives from all of us. We know who he is. It's, those things aren't wrong, but, but we should be content here. Listen to me. We should be content with being an Aristarchus. That's what I'm saying. If it comes to you, let it come. But you should be content in your heart with being an Aristarchus. You shouldn't be angry with God. We shouldn't lose so much of who we are. We shouldn't be so frustrated about our lives because it's not working out the way we thought it would work out. See, Aristarchus faced all these trials with Paul. And he didn't let those trials or tribulations discourage him. He walked with God all along the path. He stayed with God. He lived with God. He lived for Christ. I want you to think about this. Okay. Thomas, they call him Doubting Thomas. I think it's a little unfair. Okay. But Thomas, 
when Thomas goes to Jesus and Thomas goes to Jesus and he sees and he touches Jesus. And when he sees and touches Jesus, he says what? My Lord and my God. Exactly. My Lord and my God. But Jesus follows up in the next verse. And this is what Jesus says. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Paul had an incredible um, an incredibly challenging experience with Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. Paul had this incredible experience with Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. Aristarchus had no such experience with Jesus. He was led to Christ by Paul's testimony and his preaching. So Aristarchus did not have this amazing experience, if you will, the way Paul did with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Think, of, think about this, though. He, had, he didn't have that encounter, yet he had a faith. And he had a courage. He had, he had faith and courage to stand strong in the midst of whatever trials and tribulations were sent his way. He didn't have, I'm going to go back to Thomas. Touch my hands. Touch my side. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said, Blessed, you, you believe because you have seen Blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Aristarchus didn't touch Jesus' hands. He didn't touch Jesus' side. He did not see Jesus in that way. Yet he still believed. Yet he still stood strong. Are you, are you, are you getting to the point where I want to be like Aristarchus? I want to have a faith like Aristarchus? I want to believe like Aristarchus. I want to be strong like Aristarchus. I want to have resilience. The guy had to have resilience and relentlessness for all he went through. Even when Demas was probably talking to him, others were probably talking to him saying, why are we doing this? Let's go to Thessalonica and live it up. I'm so exhausted. I'm, I'm emotionally drained. I need, to get, I need to get drunk here. I need a woman I need to release some stress, whatever the case may be. I need all these things of the world. And Aristarchus said, wait, and he maybe didn't say it in this way, but in his heart and mind, this is what he was saying. Jesus is sufficient for me. Demas was saying, Jesus is not sufficient for me. Aristarchus said, Jesus Christ is sufficient for me. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14 give us this attitude. And it gives the attitude that we should all have as we go through the Christian life. It says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, it reminds, us, it reminds the faithful. It says this, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. We are, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are going to go through some difficulties in your life. Don't doubt it at all. It's going to come. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. You see, that's the thing. That's what separated Demas from Aristarchus. Demas looked at it and said, ultimately, this may lead to death. Not happening. I got one life to live. This is it. And I'm not going to just be killed. And by following this guy, Paul, and, and the guy, told, the stories he told me about Jesus. 
And he loved the world more than he loved God. He loved the world more than he loved God. And if you learn nothing else from these last two sermons, you've got to ask. I have asked myself, and you've got to ask yourself this question. Do you love the world more than you love God? It's as simple as that. Because you are going to face difficulties. You, you already have. And they're still going to come. Do you have an Aristarchus-type faith where through it all, through all the difficulties and the riots, and you can, change, you can interchange whatever difficulty or challenge or in your life for what he went through? Do you love the world more than you love God? That's the question that we all need to ultimately answer. You see, you see fame and popularity and recognition and power are rewards given by the powerful and the masses of this world, and sometimes for no apparently good reason. I give you the Kardashians. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I, they're just, the, they're, I'm sorry, they're just the first in a line of Jeff Greer going, What? Like, like, it's like these famous, these children of famous people are famous for nothing. Because the powerful and the masses of this world choose to reward them for whatever they choose to reward them with. But listen to me, character and courage and faithfulness and mercy and grace and compassion, those are characteristics Those are the things that help us become more Christ-like. They're a reflection of Christ-likeness in our lives. And those are the things that God recognizes. Those are the things that God sees. Those are the things that God rewards. Those are the things that God cares about. Those are the things. But people, courage and faithfulness and compassion and not going to get famous with any of those things. Let me tell you something. You know I'm telling the truth here. You and I lose so much joy and so much peace and so much contentment. We lose so much of those things when we base our identity or our significance on the applause of others. We are constantly, so many times as people, we are constantly looking for the applause of others and we lose so much joy and peace and contentment and happiness in our lives looking and seeking after the applause of others. Tell me if I'm wrong again. We are so stressed out, so overwhelmed, so worried, and ultimately so bitter because someone is getting the recognition that we believe that we deserve. Let me let you in on a little secret. That may be true. And God knows it. You, you are the one who did that project at work. You are the one. It was your, that invention was your idea. That idea was yours. That project, you're the one who put most of the effort into it. And it was stolen. The recognition, which you should have had fairly, it was unjust you were unjustly accused. You were unjustly done to. You were under. Those may be all true, but the reality is you need to remember God knows the truth. God knows the truth. I'll be honest with you. I'm 53 years old. I am no longer impressed by who invented what, by who discovered what, by who was the first one to do this or that or whatever it was, because, you, because most of the time, history 
is written or rewritten by those in power at the time. So I really don't know completely who invented or who discovered or who came up first with whatever. I don't really know. Because in the world I live in, I'm not sure if the person who invented that just stole it from a guy he could steal it from because the guy had no money. And he basically took it instead of giving the guy credit and just taking it and running with it and saying, this guy invented this, but I'm in a position where I can drive it forward. He said, no, I did. I don't, I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. But I'm no longer impressed by any of those things. Listen, a couple other quick things real fast. You get frustrated and you're thinking, oh, I don't understand. It's not fair. This may be helpful or maybe not helpful, depending on where you're coming from. And I don't believe this at all. I think it's impossible and illogical that there's no God. But if there's no God, who cares who gets recognition for anything or is famous for anything? We are each no better. We are a, we are a random chance being stuff on this, on this round ball called earth. We came about by random mutation or whatever else. We're no better than a worm or an ant. There is no purpose or significance to life or your life in particular. So who cares if there's no God about any of these things? If there's no God, you got bigger fish to fry. I just gave you the bigger fish, okay? You got bigger fish to fry. But let me tell you something. And there is a God. There is a God. And if there is a God then those who take credit for things that don't belong to them, get their, they, get their, they get their accolades here on earth, but not in the next life. They get it, they, you get it here. You get it all here. You can have it all. You can have it. But in the next life, bupkis. Okay? It's a spiritual word, bupkis. Matthew, Matthew, chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Listen to this. Listen to this very clearly. Listen to what it says. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, listen, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets or as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Here, they get nothing in the kingdom of God. So if your if your thought process is this is my home, then go for it. Go for it. God's going to give you God is going to give you an amazing dynamic life here on earth, but the true reward is given to us by God in heaven because heaven is our true home. But when you give to the needy, do not let your right hand the left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Listen to me. Listen to me. This will change your life. You need to live to an audience of one, not for the applause of others. You need to live to an audience of one. Your mindset needs to be that I'm going to live my life. I am going to be successful and I'm going to fulfill every ounce of my purpose so that when I stand before Jesus Christ, I will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. If no one applauds you here, that's their choice. That's their choice. But God knows the truth and he knows who you are. And you should know who you are in Christ. I know who I am. I am his. I am his. I live to an audience of one. So enjoy. Stop being stressed and worried and overwhelmed and bitter and all those things that come from this world because you're not getting what you deserve. You may never get it. Live your life for him. And whatever you do, you know he sees it and he's going to recognize you. And wouldn't one last thing. I know it's, I'm going over, but here, 
Just think, you're going into heaven, okay? You've died, you're going to heaven. Can you imagine, and I don't know how it's going to be, so this is just my own mind, but can you imagine when you get there, they start applauding? Holy, hey, it's John. It's John. Holy, it's John. And everybody said, Jesus, because he's at the front of the line. It's John. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Can you imagine the opposite? Oh, man, I had the biggest whatever. I was the first. I didn't, wasn't really. I basically stole it from somebody. But I was the first in this, and I was the first. And you get there. I don't know what disappointment looks like in the face of God. I just don't want to see it. Right? I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Don't be Demas. Don't live like the world. Instead, be like Aristarchus with a passion and a humility for God. Aristarchus knows who he is and he knows who he belongs to. And he lived his life that way. And we should try to live our lives that way as well. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for this great time you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, that please, Lord, please don't make this in one ear, out the other sermon, but help us to work on this in our lives because we're getting robbed constantly of joy and peace and contentment and we're worried and we're anxious and we're stressed and we're bitter and we're angry at the world because, because, because. God, help us to be like Aristarchus. Help us to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and to put him first in our lives and to know that you see everything and that one day you will recognize, you will point out to all those in heaven, what we've done for you. Let us live for that and enjoy our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.